Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about what success looks like. Now, this is a really elusive topic, right? Like, it always seems like we're something we're working, working, working for, but everyone else seems to get besides us, right? And this is especially for us who are tend to be on the ambitious side, you know, overachievers. We tend to really idolize, romanticize, and covet what others have in terms of wealth and recognition, like things like, you know, money, cars, houses, popularity, and maybe getting access to, like, the hot events or getting a spot in the C-suite or being invited into the inner circle. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong, to be clear, with that except for when people tie their happiness to the achievement of these things, that's when it starts to be a problem. And that's because it starts to define our self-worth mm-hmm. and our confidence and our motivation, which is not good for our mental health, which is why we want to talk about reframing success and what that looks like. Right. And this doesn't mean that you have to give up on these things if they're important to you. I mean, important to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean. sure. And they're important to us, frankly. But it's about enjoying the journey, especially since the destination is actually uncertain. And with that, let's get into reframing what success looks like. First, success is about retiring early. And I put retiring in air quotes. So I had a friend who very early in my career at PNG, and, and he he was always famous for saying that society had it all wrong. He said, <laughs> once you get a job, you should get to live your retirement first while you're young when you can enjoy it. And then you basically work until you die. <laughs> and I always love that because there's really something to that, right? I mean, because this was like what was my issue at PNG, that it was just a grind. And, and, and I would sit there and I'd be like, 20 years into retirement. 15 years to retirement. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I was doing that countdown to 59 and a half so that I could actually retire and enjoy my life. And the fact of the matter is, like, I wanted to enjoy my life now. Yep. I wanted to enjoy the fruits of my labor and my hard work now because I am younger. I get to, enjoy, you know, do it now. And I don't have all those issues I might when I get older. Like, who knows what it's going to be like for me? I'm 46. So in 13 and a half years, like, who knows? That's like <laughs> half my PNG career right there. So my mission became, how do I live like I'm retired? And what I really found as I was really like thinking about this is that retirement is more of a mindset than it is like a moment in time. So yep. it's all about being able to wake up each day and really saying, I am making a choice for how my day is going to go. This is the day that I'm choosing. And it really means that at the end of the day, you feel fulfilled in how you spent that day. So this could include feeling fulfilled in your work or career choice. It doesn't mean that you actually love everything about it, but you're actually putting your skills and your passions to good use so that you're creating that impact that makes you feel fulfilled. And keep in mind, we spend a lot of time at work. A lot. A lot of time. Right. So 
all these people who are like, work seems to be a means to an end or they're like, oh, it's just work. It's just my job. My real life is my family. I'm like, you spend probably more time at work or as much time at work as you do with your family. Why wouldn't you want it to be something that you choose? Also, uh, this could include having enough discretionary time and energy to devote to other pursuits that give you fulfillment. These could be hobbies, it could be volunteering, it could be traveling, it could be spending time with friends and family or exercise or even a, like a side hustle. And what's important to remember here, in order to get that time and energy, because a lot of people are like, and I work so much, you know, I have all this going on. I mean, nobody's going to tell you when to stop working. So mm -hmm. this is going to be up to you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this later. Thirdly, it's having enough income to live comfortably, not necessarily extravagantly, but having enough discretionary income to invest in what makes you feel fulfilled. So said vacations, maybe it's philanthropic giving, attending activities or events, like whatever it is that makes you have that, like that balance between the work and then the other side of the work, which you have to have the other side of the work, right? And so under this definition, I feel like I'm living like I'm retired. And I might sound like kind of silly or trivial to say, but I really believe it because I feel like I am choosing my day. And because of that, I feel like I could do this forever. So I can live and work like this until I die. And for me, like I, I don't see myself really doing the traditional quote unquote retirement mm -hmm. because I would be bored. I, I would just totally be bored. I have to live in a way that has purpose and that I'm feeling like I'm fulfilling something that's having impact on others. And that is what the whole pursuit of this is all about. Now, the only reason why I'm able to do this, to be totally honest, is because I can relinquish a little bit ego. I can relinquish a little bit of envy. And, you know, as I look at people who are doing, you know, what we're doing and we're making a whole lot more money than us, I'm like, I can aspire to be those people. And yes, it'd be nice to make more money, to have more popularity and, you know, do all those sorts of things. But I don't have to have it, mm -hmm. right? I'm totally happy and fulfilled in the fact that I'm waking up each day and I am choosing my day. Yeah, I mean, I was reflecting on this, well, one, because of the episode, but also just, you know, we're we're partnering and working with some other agencies again, you know, mm -hmm. and I, it just was like hitting me in the face what I chose to give up and why and just how happy I am in that. And I love the term retiring early or living like you're retired because I feel the same way in a lot of ways. The pressure that I used to feel being part of those agencies, whether it was the number of hours of meetings, like the one girl today was like, oh, I got to go. I got another meeting and another one after that. And she's trying to suck down her lunch. Right. Yeah. Um, or just the structure of the day where it's like you have to say what all you're doing. Right. On a different call I was on, I felt like it was like, well, I'm doing this. not I'm doing this. And it, like all of that wasted energy. I'm so happy to have given up. And. For me, like you, Anne, I've learned it's not about the title. It's not right. really about the envy. I don't need to be in the rat race. I don't want to have meetings to have meetings. I don't need to feel important because I'm at the meetings. Like those things just weren't as important as I think I was distracted by them and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I think a lot of what has happened to me is my kids are young now. And so similar to the comment about you know, being able to have your retirement and then work. 
I've really enjoyed not having to make that choice. And it's taken so Mm -hmm. much pressure off of my life and my day to day and how I choose to make things work. And because of that, it doesn't make me feel bad or inadequate when I have to move something. So, you know, like today we're on remote learning. Oh, I forgot. I can't pick up my daughter and be at remote learning at the same time. So the nanny and I have to divide and conquer, which means I push this recording by 30 minutes. I didn't even give it a second thought. Mm -hmm. Whereas in life before tied to that job or that company or whatever, that would have created a mess for the day for so many reasons. And so... I I think that, you know, whether you call it retirement or you I always said that I wanted my life, my two lives to mix more, whatever that looks like for you. I I feel so much less pressure from everything around me by just being able to, like you said, wake up and choose my day. Yes. And I think a lot of people are probably sitting in the corporate and agency world going, well, that must be nice because you know, you can do that because you work for yourself and you have or you have your own business and you have that flexibility. I'm like, it's not about the industry. It's not about whether or not you're an entrepreneur or you have your own no. business or not. It's about the mindset that you set up with regards to are you in the right career for yourself? Yep, totally. Are you managing that career in a way that you give yourself that discretionary time? Are you putting, you know, maybe have a side hustle so you can have some discretionary income or put some money away? Maybe those are fulfilling those things. You can have this mindset no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. I think people just feel a victim to their corporate environment or that agency environment or, you know, the rat race, as you you put it. They feel a victim to it and they feel powerless to control it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what we're saying is you absolutely have control over this. This is a choice. And you're going to hear that a lot today. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really fair point because what I had to come to the realization about with myself is, and I've said this before, the last agency I was at was giving me the allowance for exactly what you just said, the flexibility, the leaving early, the whatever. It was me. Yeah, you didn't take it, did you? I couldn't get over the push and pull. I, I could not allow myself to do it. I had to leave in order to create that space for myself. Yeah. And that's everybody's different in that way, right? Yep. All right. The second way to reframe what success looks like is success is about knowing you at least tried or went for it. And I find this one so important because we tend to live a life without fear. That's Mm. what we want to do. That's what a lot of people are prone to. It's like, I want to live a life without fear. But what we want you to embrace, especially, you know, as you're thinking about this in maybe January, February 2022, is we want you to live a life without regret. Mm -hmm. So, Again, this is about living without regret versus living without fear. And where does the fear come from? It's what a lot of people, you know, t- t- we talk to a lot of people about. And it comes from this idea that there is a playbook <laughs> for guaranteed success in life. All right. And we're here to tell you there is no playbook. Yet we all kind of continue to live like there is. Right. And what's more is we think that that book is actually already been written mm-hmm. and we're just kind of walking through the chapters of the book. So we think it's all predestined. We think we have no choice in the matter and we're just kind of writing the book or we're kind of just following along on the book that's already been written for us. But what we want to tell you is that you are the one writing the book of your success. You get to decide what that success looks like. So being afraid of screwing up just holds you back from actually writing a very interesting book. 
So why not test and learn a little bit? I mean, we, we chastise millennials and Gen Zers, and I hate this. I mean, it, it drives me crazy when we ch- we chastise them for, you know, all kinds of different things. But my favorite is for job jumping, mm-hmm. all these job jumpers. I'm like, but maybe they just have it right. I mean, who said that a fulfilling life means that you spend your whole like 30 some years, 35 years of your formative years at one job? I'm like, yes, that's kind of like the traditional way of seeing it. But what's wrong with kind of jumping around, getting new experiences, finding new ways of feeling fulfilled? You're trying to seek out where my passions are, are going to come together. My skills are going to come together to create impact. For me, like this started when I was in high school and I went out for cheerleading, which doesn't sound really like monumental, except for I was the little overweight girl who was going out for cheerleading. And it was a very highly competitive where I went to high school. There was like 30 people, 30 girls trying out for about 12 spots. I mean, so there wasn't a lot and nobody thought I had a chance. I mean, nobody thought I had a chance, but I worked my butt off. Like I practiced those cheers. I was looking in the mirror. I was doing it. I practiced the jumps. I could do it. Like I could do it all. And I ended up getting on the the team, right? And so if I had listened to all these people tell me, you know, what, you know, or or, or thought or listened to any of the speculation, because maybe they didn't tell me directly to my face. A lot of people aren't brave enough to do that. You knew what was going on, though. I knew what was going on. I know what they thought. I I never would have went for it. I and. You know, I made it and that was great because that became a foundation of like everything that I do now. It's like I almost always feel like a little bit of an underdog. I almost kind of go around with like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. And that's given me like I'll use your, you know, your word, like, well, you use gumption, like, you know, but the gumption (laughs) to like (laughs) the gumption to kind of like go for it. Right. I mean, and the worst thing that could happen is like I didn't make the team now. I don't know what what it transpired after that, but I can tell you when I failed on other things, like, you know, me and my husband, we um, are in real estate. I've said that before, but we were going to go for a really big jump and we were going to buy a hotel in Put-in-Bay. We didn't really know a whole lot about how to do that at at the time. And so we're like, God, do we do this? We invest a time and energy. Um, you know, this could cost, you know, money. And we're like, God, we at least got to go for it. We got to mm-hmm. at least try and see. We don't know how this is going to end up, but it could be such a great thing if it works out. And if the worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out, we've learned a lot. Now, this one fell through. It didn't work out. But I the, the thing that we learned from that, and by the way, we like lost maybe five grand, which everybody's like, oh, my God, you lost five grand. I'm like, you spent five grand on a couch. <laughs> I mean, I spent five grand learning how to do high-level real estate. I think I won here. Now it's given us the confidence to do other things, like we're going to buy a franchise. Like, never would have been able to kind of conceive of that, and that never been in a gateway for that if we already didn't put our mindset to the fact that, hey, we're going to go for this, and we're going to try it, and we're going to mitigate our risk for sure, but we're going to at least go for it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this one because like you, I feel like people fear repercussions and sometimes they're not even clear on what the repercussions are. Right. (laughs) They just don't want any. Yeah. So I will give the anecdote of when I made the formal decision that I was going to go out on my own, someone said to me, the hardest thing you're going to do is do it. Mm -hmm. And after that, Everything else is easier by comparison. And I like that for two reasons. One, I feel like that's one of the ways we coach, right? Like, go do the next hard thing, and then all the other things that are lesser than that are not as hard anymore. But also, it just, it was like the thing in my brain that just triggered the, like, why wouldn't I? Yeah. There was no reason not to go and do it. And so, 
I think that there is a lot of that, you know, blowback of that sounds great, but and then all the excuses that come after it. But I mean, there's a reason that you learn more from failing than you do from skating through life. And, you know, there there are just so many things that I can think of, too, over the years. I mean, I'm a planner. Right. And so when I decided to leave the agency, I had it all planned out. And that plan that I thought was going to be a couple of years was completed in about 10 months. And then I was left looking around and saying, well, what else? And so for me and the way that I'm built, I've taken a lot of risks in this business with Anne to do things that I've never done before. And I've never been more fulfilled. And I think about, you know, well, thank you. If I <laughs> if I had stayed and I had listened to the like, but you're a VP and mm-hmm. you're, you know, you've got it. You've got the title. You're going to walk away from that secure salary. You're, you know, all these things that were said back to me. I'm like, like you, I just couldn't imagine sitting in that seat for another however many years. And so. It doesn't always have to be a major try, right? You don't have right. to go and throw yourself out to do something that you've never done before, but you can pragmatically take chances that when you look at them below the surface really aren't that big of risks and you can learn so much in the process of doing that. Yeah, I totally agree. Trying sometimes is just investigating, exploring, yeah. Yeah. looking at it. it doesn't mean you're actually going to take the leap. Sometimes you might find that it's not worth yeah, you know what you what you might have to um, sacrifice as a result, and that's totally fine too. But I think the important thing to remember here is that when you see yourself kind of going into that fear spiral, is to really ask yourself: Is this real, or is this based on some preconceived <laughs> notion yep. that I already had? Yep. Right, because a lot of times we get stuck in these preconceived notions. A lot of you know the big one we hear a lot. April is like, I can't go do that. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose half my income. Like yeah. I'm gonna go from a six figure salary to like a five figure salary. I'm like, okay, then what? Mm-hmm. Can you adjust your lifestyle in order to accommodate that? Do you can you build up a side hustle to have some you know incremental income? You want to pull some money out of your four hundred one k? Oh, I can't do that. There's a penalty and something like so. I mean, so you take the penalty, you take, you know, the withholding, that money is still available to you, you know, why not, you know? So it's like, sometimes we get stuck in these, like, these preconceived notions of things that have been set either by, you know, society or by our parents or by expectations from our friends or our spouses or whatever. Just take a second to say, is this really real or is this based on some preconceived notion that I've built up in my head? Mm-hmm. All right. The third way to reframe success so this one is success is about raising good humans. <laughs> yes. So we're going to talk about this in a couple of different capacities. So first, I mean, if you're a parent and you have kids, I mean, I, this is a little bit of and soapbox. I'll, I'll take a little bit of personal uh, ownership for this. But I believe we have an obligation as parents to do what we can do to make sure our kids become good contributors to society. Yep. It's just our obligation as parents. Now, this doesn't mean that our kids turn out perfect. (laughs) It doesn't mean that they become what we want them to become, but it means that they find their own way to progress as humans so that they can have a productive life in the context of our human race. Now, I mean, despite our best efforts, sometimes our kids can go awry. But I feel like we can at least feel successful in the fact that we did everything we could and they may had to make their own decisions, right? Yeah. At some point, you kind of have to say, I set you up for success. It's now your opportunity to make your own decisions, right? 
And I think, you know, raising good humans can look very different. I, For example, my girls, I feel like I have a really good relationship with them. I feel like I've been very successful in raising them to be fiercely independent, ambitious, tenacious, but also caring. And I only feel like I've been able to do that because I am a working mom. Because they did have to endure a divorce. Now, I'm just saying, not saying that this is the only way for kids to become that. I mean, other parents have other models, but I think we sometimes we see these things as like traumatic life mm-hmm. changes, and they are traumatic to some extent. You know, I wasn't available all the time for my my kids when they were growing up when I was at PNG. Like, I couldn't be the mom that was in, in the room all the time. I traveled some, so I wasn't there every night to put them to bed. You know, and and the divorce was hard on them. I mean, I'm not detracting or saying anything about that, but it does help shape us as people. And sometimes we come out the other side stronger and with characteristics and and, and behaviors and actions that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So the question is not really what the model is. It's like, am I being intentional and how I'm setting up the model that I want my kids to follow? And if you're not a parent... That is totally fine, too. My guess is you have some influence over kids in some respect. You might be an aunt, an uncle, a family friend, a teacher, a boss, a coach. How you're shaping these young humans around you can actually be more influential than even parents. Yep. Right? You can you can be able to say things. You're able to talk to these kids in a way that they hear it, that they can't hear it from their parents. And again, we talk about, you know— the, criticize millennials and Gen Zers and kids in general for where they are turning out. But remember, we collectively are the ones raising them. Their attitudes, their ideology, their behaviors, they've all been shaped by us, whether we intentionally did it or not, right? Now, I had a conversation recently just to kind of like put a like little exclamation point on this point that um, this person was like super annoyed by one of their employees. They said, and again, they stated as a millennial, they had to characterize us as a millennial. These millennials show up late. And he was so upset because his millennial kept showing up late because he was oversleeping. He's like, I don't know what he does. And I be keeps oversleeping. And so I said, um, well, did you actually call him on it? And he's just like, well, I just have no respect for structure. And, you know, they come and go as they please. I'm like, did you tell them that wasn't acceptable? And he's like, no. Hmm. And I'm like, well, that's your fault. I'm like, are you supposed to just assume that they feel like that's okay? Well, you shouldn't know. I'm like, well, how are you supposed to know? Right? You need to set the expectations and clear expectations for what good behavior is. So take some responsibility and accountability, too, for the fact that they were shaping these humans. Yeah, I was surprised to see this one at first, quite frankly, when Anne sent me this um, episode. And so I kind of sat and I thought about it and I was like, you know what? No, it is really important to talk about because it brings life into it more with more emphasis or the bigger picture than just work related type right. success. And and I think that that's what we've talked about in the beginning of this, right, is fighting the machine or going against the rat race, those expectations that are out there of what a successful person looks like is often through the vein of work first and family second. And that's a lot of what I think is broken and why people feel restricted or like they can't do or they have to make the choice, you know, all of those types of things. And so when I thought about this, I, of course, first thought about it through the lens of how we parent. Right. right? And so we... 
I feel like there's a generational difference now that I'm actually quite happy to see when I see it happening. And that is that it's less about competing to be the best or the only or the greatest or the whatever. I feel like there's at least more of this idea of just be a good person and try hard, be kind to others, Mm -hmm. do the best you can be. But it's not with an emphasis on perfectionism or I need to beat everybody else out. There's a lot more talk about teamwork on the fields and, and that kind of stuff. And so I'm glad to see that. And that's our philosophy, too. But then I thought really about this point about who else has influence over our kids' lives. And One of the things I always say is that both of my kids have different relationships with all four of my siblings and their spouses Mm -hmm. or significant others, like very different. And they talk about them differently. I mean, you can just see the influence very differently in how often they see them, the types of things they do together, the conversations that are had, all of those types of things. But then even beyond that, we have so many honorary aunts and uncles and other people that participate in their lives and that you can tell they learn from, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, and again, it's a different type of relationship, but sometimes I rely on my family. Sometimes I rely on these people outside. Like Anne's daughter, Ainsley babysits my kids. She, to Sam, feels like more of a peer. So sometimes she can get through to him on Mm -hmm. how do I, you know, talk about what's going on with my feelings at school or I'm not the best soccer player. So I'm nervous about that. What do I do? You know, it doesn't. It's not that you have to have the formal role or that you have to be a parent of children. This is much more about having influence on the generation that is to come in a positive and effective way. I totally agree. I I think that was beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you. I get it every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while. (laughs) All right. The fourth way of reframing what success looks like is success is about feeling at peace with the life you choose. And again, this goes back to some of the things we said earlier, but to put a fine point on it, this is the life you choose, not the life someone else chooses for you. So many times we're trying to fulfill the expectations of others, even if they're contrary to what makes us feel fulfilled. And this really gets in the way of us delivering that impact that we feel called to deliver. And many a times, like, our intentions are good. Our reasons for doing it are good. Like, we we want our parents to be proud of us. We want to satisfy the dreams of our spouse or partner. So maybe we're doing a little bit of compromising. Or we want to provide well for our kids, like we were just talking about. And if this results in a life we choose, then great. If you're, like, out there saying, I chose this life, I own this, I'm taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for that, that's great. But oftentimes, it does not. And that's the truth about this, okay, guys? Like, We can only grind for so long before we burn out. And then we start feeling resentful. We start retreating into compensating behaviors to make us feel better. For this wine for me in April. So, (laughs) but any escapism really like fits here. And then there's there's a lot of it. I mean, even people who overexercise, right? There's those tendencies. And we rationalize this to ourselves too. Like we say things like, I deserve this because of what I have to put up with. And that just becomes a spiral downward again of, a loss of control. Mm-hmm. In order to avoid the spiral, though, we have to take us responsibility for the fact that we chose this. I mean, everything is a choice. I mean, we, we, we sometimes don't feel that way because sometimes the choices aren't fair or sometimes we don't like the options. But the only way that we can become at peace with our life is to say, I chose this. I accept this. I'm going to take responsibility for this. Mm-hmm. And similar to the story you told, April, about, you know, you leaving um, the agency life, I also, well, you kind of 
left that agency life. Now you have a different agency life. But um, <laughs> I can't get away from I it. Can't get I away love from it too it. much. I know. Uh, when I changed functions at P&G or even when I left P&G, I had people telling me all kinds of things about how I was going to set my career back, especially when I was changing from engineering and R&D over into branding. They're like, you want to get promoted and you're not going to get promoted as quickly. And, you know, they were like putting their paradigm of what success mm-hmm. looked like onto me. But I'm like, I'm choosing this. I get that I might not get promoted for a while and I didn't. But I wanted to find some place that I felt fulfilled. I wanted to have a career that I look when I woke up in the morning, I was excited to go to. So being able to generate that impact was way more fulfilling than twirling away back in R&D, which I would have gotten promoted a lot quicker, but I wouldn't have been as happy. And that was the same thing when I left PNG is that, again, there wasn't anything that was really wrong either. Like a lot of people feel like, you know, in order to make these choices and these pivots, like something has to be like dramatically wrong. There really wasn't anything wrong. It just wasn't the life that I wanted when I woke up in the morning. It wasn't the life I was choosing. And this was hard conversation I had with my husband. I mean, thought I was crazy. I mean, so you, you have to kind of endure some of that and saying, I get that. I'm choosing this for myself. Yeah, I I think this is this goes along with the, you know, making the choice to do it without the fear. Right. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we lie to ourselves about how happy we actually are or are not or what happiness can actually look like or how if we take the leap or how we should be happy based on what we have. Right. Like, you know, if we compare it to everybody else, you know, we have no reason not to be happy. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, that the pushback comes because you're stepping outside of the box, right, Mm -hmm. of like how it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to work. And I I do think that there I would be lying if I said that there wasn't trepidation when I got to like the actual point of going in and saying I'm leaving the agency. Oh, right. Like all of a sudden, all those things that people had said, like you just talked about or all those feelings of like, can I really do this? Like welled up really fast and. They were hard and things that I had to push through for sure to be able to get there. And, you know, we we have another episode on accountability. I think that goes hand in hand, too, of you can't make the leap. And then when things go wrong, want to take it back the other way. Right. Or be like, oh, this didn't work out perfectly like I wanted. Forget this, you know, whatever. Like if you're making the choice, it's a very mature place you have to be to know that I've decided this is what my life is. And therefore, I have to own all of what it is. And I have to know that it won't be perfect. And Mm. just because we decided to, you know, leave and do our own thing. Right. Like we get flack from people all the time. Like, oh, okay, you have a three o'clock happy hour and you're going to have wine must be nice. Or, oh, you can just take off if the kids are sick. And I'm like, yeah, but think about the other side of all of that, right? We're making the choice for what our days look like. That doesn't mean that the work goes away or that we don't have to wake up at 6 a.m. the next day and do it. Or that with the kids there, we have to move things around. Like we're still dealing with all of those same things, but we've chosen to deal with those things instead of some of the other things. And I think that that's where this gets hard for people of, you know, taking the leap, but then owning what comes after and knowing that, no, the grass isn't always greener, but it can be greener than it was. It's not going to be perfect. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I yeah, I think all of this kind of culminates in what you just said and in, in the fear and then choosing um you know wanting the sense of retirement and and all those elements into being at peace with what you choose mm-hmm. and not blaming others for, you know, the choices that you're making. Yep. Not blaming the situation for the for you know what's going on. If you fail, you fail. Yep. You know, then, you know, well, great. I own that. I great. I, I, I own that I made this choice and I'm, you know, going to fail and I'm going then to go do another choice. Right. You know, this again, you're writing your own story. Mm-hmm. The story is not written for you. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Just to summarize how to reframe success. So success is about retiring early. So retirement is a frame of mind of waking up each morning and feeling like you're choosing your day. This means feeling fulfilled in how you will spend your day. Success is about knowing you at least tried or went for it. This is about living without regret versus living without fear. Success is about raising good humans, whether you're a parent, family member, friend, teacher, boss, coach. This is about raising good humans who can find their own way to progress the human race in a productive way. Success is about feeling at peace with the life you choose. This is the life you choose, not the life someone else chooses for you. Our next segment is In the Trenches, where we're going to give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but these are going to have broad applications, so anybody should be able to take these, digest them, and put them into action. All right, our first In the Trenches question. I hear what you're saying about retiring early, but my job, though I really do like it, requires long days. I also find it difficult to take vacation because I feel I miss out on too much and it takes too long to recover. Any tips? <laughs> I feel like that was like... A gazillion people would, you know, submit that question. I we have a ton of conversation like this when I worked at P and G as well. So, and we still have it a lot with our coaching clients. Still too. have it a lot with our coaching yep. clients. And you know, this is kind of interesting because one of the most que- popular questions I got when I left P and G was, "What do you wish you had known then that you know now?" And the answer I always give, my number one answer, is I could have worked twenty percent less and still achieved the same level of success. Of, for sure. I mean, without a doubt. And it's because we tend to overinvest our time and energy in pursuit of work rewards. So whatever the company defines for that or defines for us, whether it's a bonus or a promotion or recognition or expanded pro- responsibility as whatever carrot they put out in front of you in order to kind of keep you in that loop that keeps you coming back for more. I think I said this before, but like our my boss's boss's boss used to call us all insecure overachievers. <laughs> they loved it because we would work, 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 and we would do just everything that we could possibly do in order to get those carrots. But the thing is, is that you don't necessarily need to invest, overinvest in delivering that last 20%, which we tend to do. And we do it because we're ambitious. We do it because we're competitive. We do it because of our egos. But I ask you guys, I mean, what would you do if you had time, 20% of your time and energy back? Like, what could you do with that? The discretionary time and energy to go invest in those hobbies, those side hustles. I mean, what could you do if you had that time back? So this is where I like to say, you can't tell us that you can't do this in certain environments. Because we know for sure, we've been through them. We coach people in them. You can. Mm-hmm. And that's because we teach people how to treat us. Right. If we're consistently working 10 hour days, those around us are going to adapt to fill it. They sure are. Right. Whether, you know, they give you more work because you have the capacity or whether or not they're shooting you late emails in the evening because, you know, that they know you're still working or you're going to look at them. 
In other words, nobody's going to tell you to stop working. You need to draw the line. You need to realize the work will be there tomorrow or there'll be new work to take its place. There always, always is. And if we empowered our teams and delegated appropriately, most of us should be able to take vacations with little disturbance. And that's because we're not indispensable. Like we like to believe that we're not, but we all really are. Now, some of us who like own our own companies, like April and I, if we don't work, we don't get paid. So you if you have the discipline, you can consider working vacations. This is what April and I do. We do this all the time. She did it when she goes to Florida. I'm going to be doing it when I go to Florida this week, which is means we take our computer and we're always accessible, right? We tend to maybe work some in the mornings and then we take the rest of the day off. And I've also gotten really good at being able to work on my phone. So I might be sitting by the pool and I might be doing a doc on my phone, which everybody's like, what is she doing? I'm like, I can Google doc, a whole doc on my phone. It is not a problem for me, but I have my pina colada next to me. So sometimes April has to revise and edit those, (laughs) but at least they're getting them on paper, right? Coming from the person that rejected the idea of Google Docs in the beginning. I feel quite proud of this. I don't remember that conversation. (laughs) But now, yes, I'm a firm believer of Google Docs. This is also one of those places where the misconceptions get the best of people, right? So on one hand, we'll get, well, you work for yourself, that might must be nice to have a completely flexible schedule. On the other hand, you get, well, how do you ever take off? And a yeah. working vacation, what does that look like, right? But again, Anne and I have decided that we are owning this and we're going to do what works best for us. And so... You know, I like she said, I was in Florida over the holiday. We chose to go that week because we know, both my husband and me, that it's relatively quiet. We also know that there are things that come up that we are going to have to take care of. And it's always seems to be like the first few days of the vacation, right? You're kind of like doing a wind down. So it's like three, hour, yeah. three hours the first morning, then two, then one, and then all of a sudden you don't have anything you need to do. But I would do that a million times over to be able to have the rest of my life outside of vacation to have more flexibility than taking off and turning my phone off for a week. It, it just I'm just not built with that desire. Yeah. And so I don't mind if I'm, you know, cursory reading emails while I'm sitting at the pool or if I have to pop upstairs for 30 minutes to take a quick call. It is what I signed up for when I said I want my life, my two lives to work together. And so for me, that's just normal. Now, if you're someone who's like, that's not a vacation to me and I can't do it. Well, okay, then don't take the working vacations or figure out Mm -hmm. your way of doing it. But I do think that, again, back to the misconceptions, people assume things are a certain way and then won't try it because of it versus figuring out, well, this is actually, if not better for me, it's totally fine with me versus all the benefits I get on the other side. Yeah. And I want to Two points on that one, because I think that's a, a, a really good um, example, is that one, <laughs> if you're going to take like, go totally off the grid, if you feel like that you need to do that, that's fine. I mean, that's totally fine. But, you know, you need to reflect on like how much downtime you really need. So I, mm-hmm. I just say that's coming back to people who are like, I go on vacation and I feel like I haven't even taken my vacation. Yeah. Well, that's the other. Yeah. That's right. The other side. So to to build on a couple of things that you said, April, I think one thing to avoid doing is acting like you're more important than you probably are. Mm-hmm. And I say that with a lot of kindness 
and that we tend to do that when we go on vacation. It's like, oh, I mean, they can't make that decision without me, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, if I'm not on that call, like something's gonna happen, and you know, there's this like this FOMO thing, or like even it's like it looks kind of cool with the people you're with. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I got, I gotta go take a call, right? Because <laughs> I'm so important, like. Just avoid all that kind of stuff. That's just like, you know, playing and it's just posturing and it's, you know, it's only the person that's hurting is yourself. The other thing is, it's like if you really do feel like you need that downtime, then, you know, then take it. But reflect as you're taking that downtime, like why you feel like you need to totally unplug. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because there's something that's missing here. Like either you're not feeling fulfilled by your work, either you're not doing a good job of like setting up your boundaries. You're doing something that is overloading your system. So if you have to totally check out, there's probably something going on that you need to go back and reflect upon. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right. Our second in the trenches question I have had this big desire to do a side hustle to fulfill a passionary of mine, but it involves investment, and my wife is worried I will lose all my money. <laughs> all of it. All of it. What should I do? April, you want to take this one? Well, first of all, I mean, your wife's a pretty important person in your life, so you need to make sure to have the appropriate conversation. And part of that is acknowledging her fear and recognizing that all people have different tolerances for risk. I mean, Anna and I even talk about that. Mm-hmm. I am the more risk averse of the two of us. She's the one that wants to jump in and do it, right? Mm-hmm. Probably why we, why we work as a partnership, but we always have the conversation and know where the other one's coming from. So take the time to understand why she's feeling this way. You know, did she grow up in a house where there was some volatility and maybe income wasn't always consistent? Mm -hmm. And so this is causing her to relive that. Or did she try a side hustle and not succeed? You know, figure out what her underlying concerns are the same way that, you know, hopefully she's looking for the reason why you want to do this. And, And on your side, you need to share that why with her. So why is this something that you feel compelled to do? Why is it going to fulfill you? Why is it going to make you mm-hmm. feel successful? You know, what potential does it have for both of your lives? Could you retire early in the definition that we've talked about here? Will it give you discretionary income over time so you can do more of the things that you want to do together? You know, what is your case call it, for why this is a good decision outside of whatever risk is associated. And then you want to negotiate with, you know, we're big fans of testing and learning, but a plan of getting it up and running or a period of time that you can try your side hustle, something that manages the risk in a way that makes her feel more comfortable. You know, if it's money, set a cap for the money that you can afford. You know, if you're eventually going to want to spend more time on the side hustle and cut back at work, think about how that could potentially look. If it's going to require a big investment, especially financially or of time, maybe you need to partner with someone else and do Mm -hmm. some training to kind of learn beside them the way that this works best so that you're not just jumping in and taking the risk blindly. And then Mm -hmm. ultimately, we would say compromise. There are lots of ways to get your side hustle up and running. No matter all the planning in the world that you might do coming from a planner, it never turns out the way that you (laughs) anticipate it going, even if you have that plan. So be flexible. As long as you're really hearing her out and she's hearing you out, we would say likely there is a solution that's going to work for both of you, but you're both going to have to give a bit to be able to get there. 
we need other people in order to achieve our dreams. You certainly need your wife to achieve your dreams and be a part of the journey alongside of you. But also, as you've heard both of us talk about, if it really is that important to you, stick with it and find a way to make it work. Because there is nothing worse, and I'm speaking from experience, than sitting at your desk and thinking, I cannot physically show up here and do this for another 15, 20, whatever years. And when you get to that kind of what's next, is there anything next point? You could be someone that really definitely needs this outlet and this other thing to keep you energized and happy and all the things we've been talking about today. Yeah, I think that's all really good. And I I would just add that, especially if it feels like this is coming out of nowhere Oh, yeah, that's fair, too. Yeah, give yeah. some time to you know, adapt, put some thought into it. And it doesn't feel as like you want to, you know, you want to do what? Like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Like, if that's going to be her natural reaction, and this is for anybody who is <laughs> addressing yep. this with a significant other, if you feel like that's going to be their natural reaction or that is their natural reaction, then you probably haven't done a really good job setting it up. You yep. haven't done a really good job thinking it through you haven't done a really good job of like setting up like the the scenarios especially in anticipating like what's going to come back at you spend some time doing that before you have the conversation so it doesn't feel like it's coming out of left field and you can have a more reasonable conversation because nothing's worse is when you are been feeling it and you've been feeling it for a while and you've internalized everything and then all of a sudden you go bleh and you kind of like (laughs) share it all and then your 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 significant other is kind of like are you I mean, what? Are you crazy? And that was kind of like, well, the reaction when my husband had when I said I was going to leave P&G. So um, it takes some time for them to get used to it. Just respect that. Yeah. All right. The third in the trenches question. I'm in a slump. I really have no idea what success looks like for me. How do I find this out? April, you have some thoughts on that? <laughs> really cheery one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but a common one for right now. We hear from a lot of people, right? Yeah, no, no. And it is. It is very, very fair. I mean, we are all dealing with life in a very big way right now. So <laughs> I'm not minimizing it. I'm just laughing. <laughs> um, so anytime that you get to this place, it's likely because you're avoiding reality. And, and that means like addressing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so if you truly get to a place where you're just like, I have no idea where to go from here, where to even start, we always encourage starting with self-reflection. And it's not just sitting there and thinking about things. It's taking action and writing them down or typing them out and with a directive behind it. So it's Mm -hmm. okay if you have trouble getting into the practice of doing this, that's fine. Jot down anything and just get started. But what we like to have people think about is, all right, you're in a slump. So what's been going on in your life within the past weeks, months, year? When was the last time you felt happy? And what has happened since then to get you to this place? And we we like people to be pretty specific about this. So it's not just like, I felt really down for the past three months. Well, no, that's not actually enough because we're not mm-hmm. getting to the underlying problem. So have any of your habits changed? Have you started doing things? Have you stopped doing things? Have you stopped spending time with certain people? Have you started spending time with new people? You know, has the work environment changed? Are you having trouble being remote? Well, you know, all of those types of things. Just analyze the situation that you've been in and look for whatever triggers or things might have happened that then set you along this path. And If you truly can't remember the last time you were happy, think about a time. 
you Mm -hmm. were happy. There's no judgment here. This is not meant to make you feel badly. It's more it serves as an investigative process so that you can get yourself back on track or, or to a better place. And so if you can identify just a time you were happy or the last time you were happy and these things about what's been going on, then think about how to get yourself back to that specific moment, right? This is why we like specifics. Was it, you know, you were doing a really good job of running all the time and you were getting lots of fresh air and, you know, you were really excited about summer because the baseball season was back again. Like, what was it? Paint that picture for yourself and then think about that feeling and think about how to go about getting back to that place through the analysis of where you are and where you would like to be. And this is another one where we feel like people are like, okay, whatever, like that's not going to work. That's not possible. I'm too far in a slump, you know, whatever the, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on in my day-to-day life. I, you know, I have to continue working this job because we need the money. Again, this is all fear that is playing into what is going on. And so that idea of, you know, being insecure, stepping out of your comfort zone, even if it's not a good place for you. That's all the stuff that we're talking about here. And so you want to be careful not to sign yourself up for something where you're just saying this is completely not going to be possible. It's meant to be more freeing so that you Mm -hmm. can start to find your way back, like we said before. And remember, Success means knowing at least you tried. So at least you made an effort to make something possible. You, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I think that's the thing that we often find ourselves saying to our coaching clients of like, okay, fine. If you truly think that this would get you fired, is that really the end of the world? Mm -hmm. You know, and then you get them to kind of rethink the path of like, well, actually, I really want to go. Maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing. I mean, I heard that recently. And so, you know, it's like thinking through things that aren't easy things to, easy places to go to, easy things to think about, whatever it is. But remember, you're taking a risk. What's the worst that could happen? Is your fear causing you not to take that risk? And if you really switch it in your head so that you're making the choice for the life that you want, what is that going to look like? And what's really the risk on the other side of that? Because it is your choice. Agreed. 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 And I think this is such a powerful exercise. It seems so simple, but that's why it's so powerful. Yeah. Is if you really, like you said, April, like think about either the times in your past when you were really happy. Who were you with? What were you doing? What was it about that that made you happy? Mm-hmm. And if you can't, like you said, think about that, thinking about like as you're going through your life, it's like, oh, recognize on times when you are happy. What are you doing? Who mm-hmm. are you with? What's going on? You'll find that things open up for you that you never even anticipated. Mm-hmm. And we see this all the time with our clients who are looking for that way of you know, having maybe a a side hustle or a hobby or something else that they can make them feel fulfilled, that they can spend their discretionary time and energy on. Because sometimes it's hard to carve out discretionary time and energy if we don't know what we're going to spend that time on. Because it becomes just another stressful part of the day. It's like, okay, now I have this time. I do not know how to use this time. Then the anxiety sits in. Mm -hmm. So use it as an opportunity to really kind of figure out, like, what is it that makes you happy and that you can spend this time on? And then do all those those things that you need to do in order to make sure that you set that time aside, that you honor that time, you know, whether it's you have to put in your calendar, whether or not you have to learn better how to set boundaries at work, you know, all of those sorts of things that you said in order to be able to loosen up and free up some opportunity 
to really invest in what makes us happy. Yep. All right, our fourth in the trenches question. I feel like I'm constantly living out everyone else's expectations, and I never seem to be able to make anyone happy, including myself. So I don't feel very successful at all. What should I do? All right, so let's assume by the nature of your question, you aren't feeling at peace here with the choices that you're making and the life that you're living. And you know what? I can totally sympathize because sometimes I feel like I was put on this earth to be of service to others (laughs) in spite of my own (laughs) happiness. And I can tell you and I can definitely empathize that this is a very lonely place, especially if it's somebody else's definition of success that you're trying to a bye-bye or that they're trying to define their own success by you. And that's really like the crux of it all. And I'll go back to the you know, raising good humans. And outside of that, that's the only people that we're responsible for enabling their success. Okay. Even with your kids, you like we said, you can't control their level of success. You can only set them up for success. And eventually they need to take their own responsibility for achieving that success. But that being said... You can't take responsibility for being the definition of other people's success either. I mean, they need to define success, what success looks like for them. So let's take a little, a common culprit, and we hear this a lot, is, is people, you know, trying to um, make their parents happy, you know, trying to live up to their parents' definition of, of success for them. And this usually happens for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, our kids' success is tied into our own feelings of success. If our kids are highly successful, then we feel successful as parents. Or maybe they feel like they've sacrificed a lot, or you know, especially to raise us and, you know, the money they've invested us. And if we don't live up to that level of success, we feel like we've somehow failed them. And this is really like a really tough dilemma that you need to really think about because it's really important that you disassociate from your parents' definition of what success looks like for you. Because if not, you'll never be able to live into what that definition is for yourself. You will never be able to find it for yourself because you're always going to be living in that cloud. Now, this is going to require some probably intense conversations with your parents. It may um, include some disappointment from your parents. But if you're willing to own it, if you're going to choose this, then you can become at peace with that. Right? Another, another place this happens a lot is in our work environment. Right, We're always trying to achieve expectations set by our company, our bosses, our teens. I mean, we've all been there. And this is kind of going to what you were saying before, April, about like really getting that fear spiral of like, what is everybody going to say if I choose to do something differently? That if I choose not to live within their expectations, if I think I wanted to go do something like outside of what those expectations look like. That's a very brave place to go to. I mean, I, I did that when I created my own role within PNG. I was like, I don't feel like I'm delivering an impact that I feel like I could. This is what that looks like. All right. So sometimes you need to define it for people. Sometimes you need to show them what it could look like. You need to show them what the potential of that is. I had to do that again all the time in my PR and influencer marketing because, again, a lot of people didn't even know what that was. They didn't know what expectations to set against that, so they would set their own. So I had to constantly teach and refine what their expectations were going to be. Yeah, I think expectations are a really interesting and really tricky thing. And I think... We've we've talked before about how you need other people to fulfill your goals and dreams and also that other people's perception of you is their reality of you. And Mm -hmm. so I think that those things kind of come into play here, but not in the right way. And 
so I, I think that it's really hard to stay fully in your personal brand with so many other people surrounding you yeah. in so many other roles in your life. And yeah, I think some of it is, you know, how we grow up in our families and what number we are in that family and what that role looks like when we become adults when you're the oldest for mm-hmm. someone like me, you know. And me, yep. Um, I think expectations start as a good thing, as a way for people to be able to feel like they know who we are and they can connect with us and all of that. But as human beings, we constantly evolve and I think that when we hit periods of growth as individuals, which includes wanting to do things different, try new things, step out of what people expect of us, all of that, we're met with the resistance because it's change. And even the people with the best of intentions to reset their expectations as a result of that have a really hard time doing it, especially if what you're going to go and do isn't familiar. And so it just becomes Or they're afraid you're going to fail. Or they're afraid yeah. that you're going to hurt yourself. Or they're yeah. afraid of, like you Like it know, comes whatever. from a place of wanting to look out for you and protect yeah. you, but it can be really restrictive from that standpoint. And, you know, honestly, um, Bryce and I had this conversation recently because we've been together for so long, right? So we've mm-hmm. it, we've been... We've known each other for over 20 years and we've been together for almost 20. And so we have to constantly reset expectations for each other about each other. And mm-hmm. it can be simple things like, you know, he's been saying to me for years, you cram too much stuff in, which means you're always like running super haggard. And for the past two years, I've really tried not to do that. And I'm never late anymore. And I'm like, you know, I'm. I don't always do a great job, admittedly. I'm not perfect, but I do a far better job. And so he said that flippantly to me one Saturday, like, oh, April again, putting too much on your plate. And I snapped, right? And I was like, okay, I did that for the first 18 years that you knew me. I know that. But for the past two, I've been working hard to change that. And you're annoying me that you keep saying that, right? (laughs) But we had to take some time to reset that because that had just become his expectation over all this time of me. And so I think when you're trying to make change for yourself, and then you're also trying to get other people to understand your change and thereby change their expectations, it can just get muddy. And so I think sometimes you just have to kind of say, you know, you have to have the discipline to put a hold on their expectations of you. And that's what I think can get really hard because you don't want to feel like you're disappointing anyone in the process of doing the best thing for you. But also you have to realize that that noise, which is what it Mm -hmm. is, is not going to help you get to where you're trying to go because by nature, those previous expectations are where you used to be. Yeah, I think that's a really, really well said. And I, I, And it just hits me, too, because when you can have those conversations, when you are able to take responsibility for that for yourself, and then you're also able to call people on the fact that they are putting these expectations on you or you feel like they are, you're able then to evolve the relationship. Yes. Otherwise, a lot of you see a lot of these relationships kind of get stale, stagnated. That's what, again, when the resentment sits in, where the grind feels like it's coming in because you're not able to make that choice to stand up for what expectations looking like and how you want to adjust that and then what you need from the other person in order to do that. And that's why a lot of relationships like parents and kids, they stay like very parents and kids Mm -hmm. relationship their whole entire life. Like a lot of marriages, they tend to kind of like have that like 10 year itch, if you will, because Mm -hmm. they haven't developed, you know, and they haven't re-evolved their expectations. Now, there's a lot of other things that go into it and I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but 
that is one big element as you know, relationships evolve. Our roles in life and in, in the way that we are growing evolves, like the relationships and the expectations within the relationships have to evolve too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. So our third and final segment is what we're calling now Marketing Smarts Moments. Right, so this is something that we've seen recently, whether it's something we've seen through our clients or just out in the world that is either working really well with regards to exercising their marketing smarts and maybe not so well. So the one that I'm going to talk about today is Gary Vanderchuk's new book, 12 and a Half. Don't roll your eyes, April. <laughs> I actually didn't even put this into the very last moment, so she couldn't roll her when eyes. When I just turned the page, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I'm so, not putting my stamp of approval on this. Just like, you know, Gary is polarizing to communities. He's polarizing to forthright people, too. <laughs> Although I think we can both align on the fact that super smart. Yes. Yes. Knows what he's talking about. Fair. Yes. Okay. Just the manner of which it kind of comes out. It's his brand character that I can't get on board yes. with. <laughs> so um, he has a new book called 12 and a Half, and I just finished this book. And within this book, he talks about, quote unquote, ingredients to achieve successful outcomes and how to effectively mix these together to get the meal you want. And April knows I love a good metaphor, so you can at least appreciate that. Already starting off great. <laughs> And, you know, ironically, many of the ingredients that he described is what we would describe as personal brand characteristics. But the thing that we do align on is that these softer skills can actually make or break your abilities to successfully grow within your business and as a person. Yeah. Because it's the how of how you're going to go do something. You know, we always get very fixated on the what. What's the numbers? What's, you know, the, the KPIs? Like, what's all of those things, which are extremely critical, but we don't spend as much time talking about the how. And again, the how related to what you want people to go do in their pursuit of this? How do you want them to behave? How are they going to show up? What's the culture that surrounds that that gives people the anticipation for, are we going to be a you know, this type of agency or group or, or team delivering this? Or are we going to be this kind of me? Are we going to be like the really energetic and we're going to go get them and we're going to go do all this stuff? Or are we going to be like, the more calmer and we're going to be kind of going in and, and, and kind of going in underneath the radar a little bit. So you have to kind of define you know, how these pe- how you're going to actually do um, and, and achieve the what. And he talks a lot about that. And he talks about certain circumstances for which you would apply these different skills. Now, I, as we just talked about, I always appreciate the authenticity for which he shares his message. And I actually really appreciate the vulnerability and transparency in his storytelling. He's very good at that. And he's very clear about where he's lacking as a business leader and what he's clearly working on, which is where the half comes in. I'm not going to like give away like, too much of it. I mean, he talks about it a, a, a lot, but I, I want you guys to read the book in order for you to kind of understand where that half comes in. I feel like I'm going to have an assignment after this one. I, I can tell you all about it over wine. I'll give you the <laughs> cliff notes. <laughs> but overall, I found the very that first part of that book very insightful for that very reason is because he does talk a lot about the progression of of these ingredients and and how he's put them together in different ways in order to solve some some very real business challenges. The second part of the book was more examples of how these things can come to life based on certain context circumstances. 
I didn't find those as relevant. He tended to kind of go down a route hole. He's really into NFTs right now. So it was very NFT. <laughs> it was a lot of NFT focus on that, which I'm, I don't know, jury's still out on me with me on NFTs, but um, I get that they are a very important part of, of people's lives. But I just found my, it a little harder to relate to that. But that being said, I would recommend this book. I think Gary Vee has a lot of marketing smarts. I would recommend the book for that part of that book or that very first part to just really kind of reflect upon, like we've kind of talked about here, how these ingredients may be contributing or not contributing to your success coming from somebody who's kind of been there and done that. So I would put that on your reading list. And just as an aside, too, I would say there's something still very poetic and very important about writing a book. It creates conversation. Even the fact that me and April are sitting here debating it is kind of like the ideal Mm -hmm. of of writing a book. It's like you want that, you know, the the different thoughts that kind of come together and they almost kind of clash and they kind of sharing, you know, their, their thoughts and they're kind of debating back and forth in a very respectful way. But it also leaves a legacy. When we're gone, those books will still be there. Now you can argue like how many people are going to care, but they are still there. So that is my Marketing Smarts moment. April, do you care to say anything? (laughs) I mean, so we we debate Gary Vee often. And um, I, I would say that this is a good and right perspective. And what I've also come to know about him um transparently i've read i think all of his books up until this point except for mm-hmm. this one so it's not that i don't believe or align with what he says and and i do agree with you that for me when he takes it down a notch is where i find the most authenticity from him and it's a lot more palatable for me to engage mm-hmm. than it is when he's on the more aggressive side with that said he acknowledges that he's polarizing and that people like him and some people don't like him and some people think he's too much, you know, all, like he's very self-aware. So I will give him kudos from that side of things, although I do have to turn the volume down sometimes when I'm listening to him. <laughs> <laughs> and he admits if you only saw one piece of his content, you may may not like him. Yeah. It's the, it's the body of content yeah. that when it comes together creates who he is. So, yeah. All right, so just to summarize how to reframe success. So success is about retiring early. So retirement is a frame of mind of waking up each day and feeling like you're choosing your day. This means feeling fulfilled in how you spend your day. Success is about knowing you at least tried or went for it. It's about living without regret versus living without fear. Success is about raising good humans, whether you're a parent, family member, friend, teacher, boss, coach. This is about Raising good humans who can find their way to progress the human race in a productive way. And finally, success is about feeling at peace with the life you choose. This is a life you choose, not the life someone else chooses for you. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day, which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.